No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. Unfortunately, Marilia is not with us tonight. She's going to become a special guest host because she has such a busy busy life that that it's hard for her to be here a lot of the time. So I uh, have the honor tonight of interviewing uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Eleanor Clift, who was uh, who was a former Newsweek White House, House correspondent for the first man I ever worked for, Jimmy Carter. Uh, she was uh, during Carter's presidency. She was a contributor to the McLaughlin Group for years, and now she's a columnist at the Daily Beast. And we're, I'm so excited to have her on the show. Thanks so much for being with me tonight, Eleanor. I really appreciate it. And welcome back to the show. She's been on before. Um, let me ask you let's start. We've just had an election. Republicans have secured 211 seats in the House of Representatives, and two and Democrats have 204. This is way better than anybody thought the Democrats were going to do. Uh, we've secured the Senate. We now have a majority in the Senate. President Biden called this a referendum on our democracy. Do you think it's a referendum on our democracy, or is it a referendum on Donald Trump? Uh, an election. And the peaceful turnover of power is the core of democracy. And he has, for the last two years, peddled the uh, big lie that he was cheated out of his rightful victory and he should be uh, in the White House and that President Biden is uh, not a legitimate uh, president. So um, I think the... um, the White House and the Democrats and the media and Donald Trump's behavior managed to turn this election into a choice between uh, the president's party and the uh, Republican MAGA, MAGA, I guess the MAGA element of the Republican Party. And normally um, these midterms are a referendum on the party in power. And with President Biden's approval rating, at best, 45 or 46, and on some days lower than that, uh, that a referendum on his power didn't look like it was going to be successful for the Democrats. So it's very important that the American people saw this as a choice between two, two, 
two political roads to take, and they chose the one uh, that is the small d uh, democratic. So, yes, I think it was a referendum on democracy, and I also think it was uh, a referendum on, on Trump and the, and the way he has handled uh, his uh, status as a, as a former president. And, and and who would have thought this, not only with the president's approval rating so low, but with gas prices so high and inflation uh, at an all-time record high? I mean, every pundit out there thought that we were going to take a shellacking. I think that's exactly the, the term that the president used when he re- referred to the election a few weeks ago. Um, and... Uh, does this? Do you think this means that uh, we've had a realignment in America? I mean, it seems to me that we wanted that America wanted Donald Trump because they wanted change. Then they wanted Joe Biden because they wanted stability after four years of of such instability. Uh, you think the country's moving back in that direction, or is this just well, strictly it, it about? Well, it wasn't a change. It wasn't a change election because they didn't really, they didn't really vote. They didn't really vote the bums out. Mm. <laughs> and after oh, the millions right. of dollars that have been spent, uh, the uh, the Democrats have gained one seat in the Senate, and the Democrats have lost, probably have lost the House. There's still an outside chance that these races that are being decided, and they're still counting, mainly in California, uh, that the Democrats could still. Uh, inch inch back and and keep keep the house, but it looks more likely like the Republicans could have a, just a handful of seats as the uh, as as their as their margin. So um, you can't say it was a change election because not that much changed except in reaction to what all of the uh, the pundits seem to predict. And I, I've you know investigating this and trying to understand where all my sense of gloom and doom leading up to the election, where it all came from. Uh, it was the polls, and it was some respectable sites like 538 and Real Clear Politics, and they were averaging all the polls that were taken, and the late rush of polls all seemed to tilt towards the Republicans, and that would confirm the conventional wisdom that the off-year election uh, the party in power typically loses loses seats, and numbers are pretty dramatic for that. I think the average loss of seats is like five Senate seats and twenty twenty six House seats. Yeah. But the Congress was already operating at such thin margins that the Democrats didn't have that to spare, obviously. And so there was a burst of polls that uh, were not coming from the traditional pollsters who do have kind of rigorous models they adhere to, but from some newcomers, uh, Trafalgar Group is one of them. Um, they're uh, sort of founded by a former Republican operative, but they were right in 2016 when they said Trump was uh, going to win the election, and there weren't many pollsters who got it right in 2016. And they created a category this time around they called submerged uh, Trump voters, and they said they would be in their submarines underwater, and they wouldn't be coming out until election day. And they created this feeling that uh, we were going to be surprised once again by a late surge 
of low low propensity Trump voters, you know, um, people without men, men mainly without college degrees in rural areas, and they were going to make the difference. And so I, everybody kind of bought into this, but the traditional polls really didn't show that much movement in the last uh, couple of weeks. And there's one um, uh, strategist that I was paying attention to. His name is Simon Rosenberg, and he's the creator of the New Democrat Network. And uh, he held steady to uh, his belief that the uh, that the midterms were going to be much more favorable outcome. He said, I'd rather be, as he put it, us rather than them, meaning a Democrat rather than a Republican. He felt pretty certain that the Democrats would hold the Senate, and he said there was a chance they would hold the House. And he got some criticism for that. He's been around a long time, and he was told that he would suffer reputational damage for, you know, peddling such such phony information. What turned out, he was just following the data, and it turns out that he that he that he was right, and he he got became quite public about saying that um, the Republicans actually gamed the system with polls and created what they thought was a kind of an optimism about the Republicans that would that would sort of uh, feed feed uh, their success. So it was kind of a psychological warfare that was going on, and the Democrats are always prone to to uh, gloom and doom and thinking that their message is not right and this is not right. And the finger pointing really had started before before the votes, before the final votes were cast. But the tip off was all those early voting numbers, and they were rivaling 2018 which was an historic turnout. And if, and who, who were all those voters? A lot of them were women who really were angry about Roe. And so all of the conventional wisdom that uh, the overturning of Roe happened in June, and you know that was, that was now five months ago, and people were more concerned about inflation and the price of gas. And, and here you have to hand it to Michael Moore, the, uh, the documentarian, uh, far left uh, personality, and he was convinced the Democrats would hold the House and the Senate. And he said, "You know, American women are not going to prioritize the price of gas over um, their own bodies." And I thought that was a, a, an apt way to put it. But it was it was more than the price of gas; it was crime. And the Republicans were really highlighting a lot of alarming crime statistics, but. The American electorate was able to sort through this and really vote in ways that I think uphold our democracy and voted our the values that this country was founded on. I'm I'm I'm, prou- I'm proud of uh, proud of the voters, proud of America. Well, I think this was a, a remarkable election. Well, and don't we often, you know, how I've been in politics 40 years and and for for all that time, uh, people have been saying that 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 voters aren't as smart as they really are. Uh, So I agree with you. I'm I'm proud. uh, I'm proud of, of, of what happened, too. Let me ask you, though, why? Why do you think the pollsters do we need different methodology for polling, when I was in college, 
I studied, you know, I have a master's degree in political science, and we studied polling, and it seems to me the methodology is pretty much the same. And they've been wrong over and over again. They were wrong with Trump. They were wrong this time. Uh, if you, you, I think you're right about women, but the polls actually showed, almost every poll showed that the economy uh, uh, ranked above a woman's right to choose, and crime also ranked above a woman's right to choose. So do you think there's something wrong with the way we poll, or is the yeah. political, is it so fluid that what people believe in, in the middle of October is not what they necessarily believe on Election Day? Okay, well, um, Pennsylvania, um, I write for the Daily Beast, and they wanted a, a piece about the Pennsylvania race. And so I, I got in touch with a fellow who was the press secretary for the Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, who is now leaving office. And um, this was actually before the results of the race were in. And he said, you, you know, abortion is a much more complicated issue. Uh, he said, for for Democrats, it's a motivator, and for Republicans, it's a disqualifier. And he said, when if you ask people what's the most important issue they're facing, they may say inflation, because, yeah, that's the most important issue they're facing, but that's not necessarily how they're going to vote. <laughs> so um, I think the voters actually saw a very clear difference between the two parties on the issue of uh, reproductive rights. And in Pennsylvania, I think, um, you know, the three, three quarters of those who said abortion rights were very important to them all voted for Fetterman. And the reverse was true for Mehmet Oz, the Republican. Those who, who said inflation was very important, I think uh, two-thirds of them voted for uh, Oz. But the difference was that the, um, the 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 pro-choice voters made up a third of the electorate, and the uh, inflation people were a quarter of the electorate. Now you can you can do the math. <laughs> so yeah. abortion turned out to be a, a very big thumb on the scale in Pennsylvania for uh, Fetterman. Now overall, pollsters, how do they measure this? They they didn't really know who exactly was going to turn out. And they can't really, they have trouble creating models if the turnout is going to be radically different from the last time around. And so I think they really didn't know how to how to measure the, uh, uh, the reproductive rights vote. And they also didn't know how to measure uh, Biden's call at the end for democracy. And the pundits kind of made fun of that, that he was exaggerating, saying democracy was on on trial and this election was about democracy. Uh, but that rallied uh, Democrats at the end. It's, it's an important issue to, uh, to, to, to Democrats. So, and then the, the attack on Paul Pelosi 10, 10 days or so before the election also fed into this contrast between the two parties. The one party is, was really kind of going over the edge and over the line, uh, seeming to uh, cond 
condone political violence when you had some Republicans who were mocking, you know, Paul Pelosi. And so I think I think that that all fed into how people were going were going were going to vote. So um, you know, there'll be a lot more analysis over the coming weeks as each party tries to see where their flaws are and what they might do to correct it. And, you know, young people played a big role here, too. The, the Generation Z, which actually elected a member of Congress, yeah. I think he's 25 out of Florida, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. um, and their turnout was the highest it's been in in 30 years. I read this statistic, but it also said that uh, the turnout represented only 30% of those eligible to vote in that age group. So we still have more to do in in encouraging people to vote. And when I voted on Election Day at my voting place, it was a young man. It was his first vote ever. And all the, the election volunteers and all the handful of people who were there to vote all gave him a round of applause. <laughs> he 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 looked thrilled. I hope he I hope he continues feeling thrilled every time he go, he goes to to vote. So we'll we'll learn more about you know exactly what spurred the voters and what really moved them at the at the last minute. But um, clearly, the treasured independents, which are such a small f- fraction in a country that is now so firmly divided between the two parties. Um, that those independents, uh, they went went uh, for Democrats this time, and you know, if, if not not even by big percentage points. It doesn't take a lot. So that's a message I always get from election when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands, millions of votes. You know, a percentage point here or there can make a very big difference. Well, yeah, we all learned that. Uh... Uh, was uh, the core election, didn't we? How how important just yeah. a handful of votes could be, and Fetterman got twenty did did twenty points better with uh, with independents than 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 uh, Dr. Oz did, and they're also being credited with with pushing Kelly in Arizona over the top, and and isn't that a really important part of our political process? Because when I worked for the Democratic National Committee, we were always going after those people. You know, that was the, the group that we focused on because we knew there was there were core Democrats that were going to vote Democratic no matter what. There were core right. Republicans that were going to do the same. So we always went for that group in the middle, and that's really when you have to talk about issues. So that's that's a healthy thing for our democracy, I think. And, right. you know, in, in the end, given all the division, the process has has held, right? We saw with all the election deniers and, and everything that was going on in, in, in 2020 that the Republican, uh, the person that was in charge of voting in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, all Republicans certified that Biden was the winner. Uh, Mike Pence stood up and did his job. So really, our democracy has been through a lot lately, but it really has it really has held together, has it not? Right. You know, once the results are in, you, you think to yourself, how could anyone have thought that denying that election denialism would be a uh, would right. be a positive thing to run on? Uh, but six uh, candidates for Secretary of State in critical states, Arizona, 
you know, Michigan. <laughs> and yeah. uh, they they all lost except for one in, in Indiana, deep red Indiana. Uh, an election denier did win a secretary of state. Uh, we're still waiting for Carrie Lake in Arizona. Oh, my God. I believe they have, have they, I think they're calling that too early to call. Yes. Um, they're, they're less that, than one. They're, they're less than one full percentage point apart, I think, at this point. Yeah, she, uh, Carrie Lake became the, the face of, of of Donald Trump and election denialism, mm-hmm. and she's a very uh, appealing, telegenic, talented uh, former broadcaster in Arizona, and uh, you would have thought, listening to the pundits, that she would win easily. And Katie mm-hmm. Hobbs, the Democrat who is the current, um, she's the Secretary of State in, State, in, yeah. in, in, in Arizona and running for governor, and she declined to debate Carrie Lake, saying that Carrie Lake would just turn it into a circus. And Hobbs got a lot of criticism for that for that decision. And I, I, I still don't know whether it was the right or wrong decision, but Hobbs had a lot more strength in the state than anybody was giving her credit for, and it looks like she may prevail there, and then we'll have to see what Carrie Lake does. I mean, so far, we don't have a lot of uh, election denial people saying they're going to file lawsuits. Here and there, somebody hasn't wanted to concede, but so far, we don't have, you know, big uh, resistance to the results of the election. Carrie Lake might, if she she doesn't win, or if, if the margin between the two is is so small maybe she can correctly maybe maybe she maybe it will trigger a recount but mm-hmm. she's kind of the test case to see how she, how she responds i'd love to say that the results of this election mean the 2020 election is finally over but you know i, I it's always it's always dangerous to um to declare uh trump and anything to do with trump over with because he always seems to manage uh, some sort of a, a recovery. So we'll see. He's supposed to announce for president on Tuesday. I don't know whether he's going to go ahead with that. He's going to make a major announcement of some kind. Anyway, he wants the spotlight, and you know the media is kind of in a bind. You can't you can't ignore him, uh, and and then uh, you, you also really don't want to make him you know, center stage so much. And I think he was counting on big victories and he would he would treat the results of the midterms as, you know, his own victory party and then he would announce for president, well, the results have not panned out for him. A lot in his own party are turning on him. So does he go ahead with his Tuesday plans? Who knows? Well, don't you think that will affect the uh, outcome of the, the runoff election uh, in Georgia, you know, a lot of people uh, criticized him for his involvement in the special election uh, that took place uh, that got the Democrat elected. Uh, do you think? Right. Uh, yeah, two uh, years, two, yeah, two years yeah. ago, he, he went in uh, ostensibly to campaign for the two Republican candidates, and he used the stage to just complain about how the election was rigged, and he basically dissuaded Republicans from even voting. I mean, he definitely had a yeah. hand in uh, electing those 
two Democratic uh, yeah. senators out of out of Georgia and giving the uh, the Democrats uh, control in a fifty fifty Senate. So I'm sure Republicans would like him to just go disappear yeah. until after the December sixth uh, runoff in 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 Georgia. But you never you you, ne- you never know what uh, the former president is going to do. Absolutely. I don't even think he knows what he's going to do <laughs> until yeah, the last I minute. I agree. I think that more surprise than Hillary Clinton was Donald Trump on election day in uh, 2016. I don't think he thought he was going to win. Uh, no, but, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you um, if the Republic, if the Democrats do prevail in the election in Georgia, and we do have uh, one more Democratic senator, so we have 51. Uh, you think they'll uh, uh, they'll go after the filibuster? Is that a... I mean, we still oh, got... Well, to go after the filibuster, I... You, you would have to... You would, I, I don't think you can do that with a, with just a, a, a majority, or maybe you can. You don't no, need I think a, you, can with you don't need the votes. super majority. It's not legislation, so right. it would be a, just a change in rules. I hear what you're saying, and you could do that. Um, well, but you need the Republican would from not West make up for, that would that would that would make up for Banchin, who is opposed. Right. Exactly. Uh, but uh, Kirsten Cinema, right. the Arizona senator, was not keen on changing the filibuster, and there could be several other Democrats who. Uh, are, are going to be reluctant to do that. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, but I, I think it raises the question again, Is and um, it, since voting appears to have gone so well, uh, that takes some of the pressure off on having a, like what they call the carve-out for for voting rights. Um, you, could, you could perhaps, uh, well, could you codify, um, I don't think, you know, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think you could codify Roe with a, with a, with a, by getting rid of the filibuster and then doing that. Um, you know, one of the messages of this election was, don't move too fast. I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that that's going to. I don't. I don't know that the case is there to to change the filibuster at least right at, right out of the gate. Well, now that we've, uh, you and I have both talked about how much, how proud we are of our party, let me tell you something that, that, that really bothered me and get your opinion on it. You know that the DCCC and the governors, uh, Democratic Governors Association put millions of dollars into Republican, especially election deniers, primary campaigns in order to get what they considered uh, lesser candidates elected so they could win in the general election. And they've certainly, they involved themselves in 13 races. One of the most, uh, one, one of the, the worst uh, examples, I think, was Peter Meyer in Michigan, who was somebody that voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump. Uh, they got rid of him. Uh, they've had mixed results so far. Six of their candidates, six six of the races they've been involved in, this has worked. Uh, seven, I think, I don't know how many are still outstanding, but
but we, we, we don't know about, about seven of them, I believe. Uh, they got involved right here in Maryland with the governor, uh, with the governor's election uh, in the Maryland, the Democrat prevailed. Uh, they picked up one Senate seat uh, in doing this. What do you think about that? Don't you think that's horribly cynical that we that as uh, a Democratic it is not, party? It is not new. It is not new. It has gone on for some time. And the, the seat you referred to, Peter Meyer, uh, 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 he was defeated by a far-right person, yep. and a Democrat has won that seat. And we're now yep. watching the the House tick down seat by seat. I don't know. I don't don't know of a single area where that has come back to bite the Democrats. I could I could be wrong about that. If there are some, they're outstanding. Yeah, they're still outstanding. Um, well, yeah, and uh, in uh, New Hampshire, there was a flurry at the yeah. end there that the uh, that that senator. Um, What's what's his Molduck or right. anyway? He's a retired military guy that he right. that he was going to win, and the New York Times was saying, you know, if you want to watch the election returns, watch that the first race that's going to come in, and if Maggie Hassan, a Democrat, is defeated, you know, it's going to be a bad night for the Democrat. She won by ten points, but there was this flurry at the end that he was closing, and he had he had he had denied. Uh, that Biden had won the 2020 election. And after he got the nomination, he said, oh, I did some research, and now I think he is legitimately elected. And then he kind of changed his mind in the remaining weeks of campaigning. You know, James Carville was asked about this practice of the Democrats to bolster the other. He basically said, you know, put on your big boy, big girl pants. This is politics. I kind of agree with that. I know we're don't, not we're not in the business of protecting the the good guys on the other side. We're we're in the business of 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 winning winning those seats. It's just like you know, years and years ago, in the Connie uh, Connie Morella, everybody loved Connie Morella, and she voted with the Democrats a lot of the time. Yeah. But on crucial votes, she would vote with uh, with the Republicans. I mean, it kind of broke my heart when when the uh, the Democrats went after her seat. I actually think it was, was that Chris Van Holland might have actually beat her. So it's politics. And I don't think you can make a case that that backfired on the, on the Democrats this time. And when, and when you say they bolstered the other side, well, they, they took out ads saying what the, what the um, far, far, far right person was saying so that he couldn't suddenly he or she couldn't suddenly uh become a moderate so they weren't they weren't they weren't saying oh he's go you know vote for him we support him they just put the what this person was about so that they couldn't uh, hide what they were about in in the in the general election so i think it's a in a perfect world you'd uh, you'd let all the good republicans stay but I don't think that's how campaigns are are strategized and, and won. Well, we know it's nothing new in politics, but, um, you know, I question uh, the fact that I, I was a consultant to the DCCC and also the Governors Association for a long time. And when they sent out a fundraising appeal, they asked for your money 
to support Democratic candidates. They don't ask for your money to win elections. They ask for your money to support Democratic candidates and then to collect tens of millions of dollars on that basis and give it to Republicans seems to me to, to be problematic. And also I worry, you know, you covered Jimmy Carter. I worked for Jimmy Carter. I worry about us uh, uh, losing our soul. You know, what does it behoove, as Mark said, uh, a man to, to gain the world and lose his soul? And I worry about that. But I but I hear what you're well, saying. Yeah, yeah, I think in, in, in Maryland, I don't, um, I don't, the uh, Republican candidate was uh, Hogan's choice. She was a, yeah. a very competent, capable woman. Yeah, she was. Uh, and um, that, uh, Westmore uh, might not have won, might not have beaten her, or it would have been a tougher race, or he would have, you know, he would have had to work a lot harder. Um, so, uh, maybe they didn't really need need to spend the money there, and you know I agree. I mean, I have a soft spot in my heart for Hogan and all the, Me too. the you know the the rest of that of the party and what it represents. But I'm not sit I'm not sitting at one of these super PACs and trying to decide, you know, how how am I going to win this election? I mean, I think it's defensible, and I would like I would like to see an analysis at the end of all this as to whether um, the Democrats really got you know, bitten by this, whether it really backfired. And again, you can you can go back many, many election cycles and find examples of this on both sides. So it is it's it's not at all new. So who takes the blame for this? Does Donald Trump take the blame for this on the Republican side or are McCarthy and McConnell both in trouble? Is McConnell you think McConnell is is uh in trouble, and um, uh, McCarthy uh, stands not to be uh, elected speaker if they take over the House because of the because of what happened in the election. Well, it's it, it's really complicated. I mean, yeah, Republicans, some Republicans are really attempting to put the full blame on 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 Donald Trump, but the the Senate and the House are two different bodies. Trump and he calls McConnell the old crow, and the old crow <laughs> responded in kind, complaining about candidate quality early on in the cycle when Trump intervened, uh, particularly in well in Pennsylvania and in Georgia, most notably. In Pennsylvania, McConnell's candidate was David McCormick, a West Point graduate and a hedge fund guy with no 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 scandal. His wife, I think her name is Dina Powell, she actually worked in the Trump White House. Mm -hmm. And um, Trump pushed uh, Dr. Oz. Trump was quoted in the last couple of days saying that it was Melania who, who oh, actually yeah. was pushing Dr. Oz. Oh. And he, he, she was taken with the celebrity doctor. Um, if, if, the, if the Republican nominee was David McCormick um, and... You had all the difficulties around John Fetterman and his stroke. I think McCormick could well have have won that race, or would have. It would have been harder to defeat him, and so I think McConnell was never happy with uh, with Oz. And Oz's main liability is that he lived in New Jersey. <laughs> he, he he hasn't lived in Pennsylvania for you know for decades, 
and he was using his mother-in-law's address uh, as as his base. So he was a carpetbagger, and you know Fetterman, uh, the the voters knew him. He was the he was he's the current lieutenant governor. Before that, he was the mayor of, of Braddock, and I mean, he's six foot eight, and this very unusual figure. So everybody everybody knows John Fetterman, and Doctor Oz is kind of a a strange creature for the voters of of Pennsylvania, and he was he was Trump's choice. And then McConnell was not initially behind Herschel Herschel Walker in Georgia. And then there were other more conventional politicians who who probably could have uh could have run a stronger a stronger uh race. But now they're all in behind Herschel Walker. Um but I I read somewhere that now McConnell uh will be eighty three by twenty twenty four, uh yeah. which will be his next chance to get a, a uh, majority Senate and the map in 2024. Although I hate to get a, I hate to get ahead of myself this fast. Uh, the map in 2024 is very dicey for uh, Democrats because they've got a lot of their red state senators are up. Um, Cinema and um, uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio and Mansion in West Virginia. So they, they're going to have a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, defending, defending to, to do, and so uh, McConnell is not happy with Trump. They're not on speaking terms, I, I read, and uh, but I I think McConnell stays in power because the as the minority leader because the revolt within the Republican caucus is coming, you know, from the Florida Senator Scott who put out an 11-point plan, and one of his his platforms was to uh, review Social Security and Medicare, have it uh, sunset every five years with an eye towards, uh, you know, cutting entitlements. Not not a popular thing to, to do for any politicians uh, to even open that uh, discussion. And uh, some of the, the, the real Trumpy uh, members of the, of the Senate um, are are in rebellion against McConnell, but I I think McConnell I don't think they have an alternative to McConnell. That the House gets a lot more complicated because uh, yeah. Dave Wasserman with the Cook Political Report said the um, margin if if the Republicans do get the 218 votes they will have only a handful of votes above that as as a margin. So the question is. Uh, do they have a, a, a majority or a Marjorie? Marjorie as in Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, my God. <laughs> because, yes, because um, who, whoever is the leader, and McCarthy is seemingly the most likely, will need every one of those votes, and right. they're going to extract their pound of flesh from him. And so he will be yeah. he will be bought and sold before he... He even wheels the ga- the gavel, so I think it, it's it's very tough. And you know, well, part of me politically enjoys watching watching them suffer through this. It's not good for the country. You really do need a working uh, majority caucus in the House because there's this work they have to do. They have right. to raise the debt ceiling. They have to pass a budget. You know, there are there are legitimate things they have to do, and they they could be so dysfunctional 
that even uh, the most elemental tasks of um, legislating and governing will elude them, and that's that's not good for the country. Do you think that this momentum that seems to be building behind the the Democrats, uh, they could raise the debt ceiling during a lame duck second? They generally don't get much done. I think that is that is very good for the for the country. They would either raise the debt ceiling during the lame duck, or they would uh, change the rules so that this happens automatically. Because this is this is not raising the debt ceiling so you can spend more money. It's raising the debt ceiling so you can pay for the bills you've already incurred. And the um, the crazy caucus on the Republican side has already said that they are going to hold the Biden administration hostage on raising the debt, debt limit until they get certain concessions on spending cuts, particularly on entitlement programs. So... Yeah, I I think it would it it would be very good if they could accomplish this during the during the lame duck, and I think it's possible that they can. It would avoid a whole lot of chaos. Well, now that you brought up crazy people, can we talk about uh, Governor DeSantis for a minute? I think the craziest thing that I've heard come out of this election is when he stood up there and said. Florida is where woke comes to die. Isn't woke about okay. being aware? And and are are we you know he seems to be bragging? Yes, this is where awareness comes to die. Is he is that just pandering to get the what 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 he sees? No, as he loves Trump? you know as they say he loves to own the libs and he loves to get the liberals upset <laughs> and uh, you know saying Florida the state where woke goes to die is uh, is part of his theme. But he has put in place various, uh, you know, laws and regulations that do, you know, tighten down on various cultural uh, initiatives that play well with um, with his voters in, in, in Florida. He he did win by, what, 16 or 19 yeah. points? Yeah, very uh, well. Right. Uh, so, but Florida and Texas are like two states that that the 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 red wave happened in Florida and Texas. It didn't happen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and DeSantis, uh, when I think at the exit polls in Florida, they they asked um, whether whether he should run for president in two years. And the answer was a, a majority said no. I mean, they didn't like ele- electing a governor who would then leave in in two years. Um, but I don't think that's going to affect his 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 judgment at all. It looks like he is planning a planning a run, and when the when the presidency kind of uh, opens, it, you you need to take to take the the leap. And I think the the, um, the the signs seem to be aligning right for DeSantis, maybe also for the Virginia Virginia. Virginia Governor Youngkin also, because Trump has now given them both nicknames. Uh, the Sanctimonious is um, for DeSantis, and in a, in a most bizarre yep. tweet, Trump uh, referred to Youngkin as Young Kin and suggests he sounds kind of Chinese. I, I don't. I don't think that one plays very well, but uh, Trump. <laughs> 
I think is sizing up the comp- the competition, and those are those are two likely uh, likely figures. And Youngkin uh, did a lot of traveling, and he appeared with um, the election denial figures, notably Carrie Lake. And uh, he didn't cover himself with glory uh, during this period either. And he also was kind of tasteless when he initially reacted to the the bludgeoning of um, Nancy Pelosi's husband, you know, saying uh, initially, well, violence shouldn't be condoned, but we're we're going to send Nancy Pelosi back to San Francisco to take care of her husband. And he apparently wrote a personal note to her apologizing after after he saw how that played. So Youngkin is kind of famous for playing both sides, trying to get the mixture just right. And uh, he would be more, a more, at least on the surface, a softer side of the Republican Party compared to DeSantis. But there'll be there'll be there'll be others in the, in the fray uh, as well, and I think that that will start up uh, pr- pretty soon. Yeah, and you know, with the Junkin, it seems to me that from reading the Washington Post that the people of Virginia don't even like Duncan. So uh, I don't know how well he would uh, uh, do nationally. Uh, yeah. But somebody like well, Virginia Hogan, is the only only state where you, you can only serve one term. Right. And so as soon as, soon as anybody gets elected, they're looking around as to what to do next. And, of course, you know, both both the Virginia senators, Kane and Warner, are for, former governors. <laughs> so Yeah, um, and also Terry McCullough. I worked with these guys, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they, they, yeah, they all have one term. And Warner was very well liked, you know. He certainly could have gotten reelected if, 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 if it had been allowed. It seemed as somebody that served in this strange position that I have for sixteen years, uh, I think you know a six-year term. I was just getting really well acquainted with what I had to do after six years. I, I can't imagine right. that, you know, one one term limit makes any sense uh, at all. But uh, right. Uh, well, and when you think about the House of Representatives, I mean, a two-year term. Yeah. I mean, as soon as they breathe a sigh of relief after after an election, they've almost got to start immediately to thinking right. about the next election. It is, uh, I think. I think Nancy Pelosi puts it that they're they're close to the uh, feelings of the people because they have to go back every two years and touch the hot skillet and yeah. find out what people are thinking and you know that's that's how our system was designed and then the, the Senate is supposed to be the the, co- the cooling saucer um, with it with their six year terms so it does seem relatively leisurely when you compare a six-year term to to two years yes they're all they're all working pretty hard yeah and you know uh, i this is something that i faced all the time when these uh people stand up and say to us in the district of columbia this is what the founding fathers wanted don't we need some modification in the way we do things after 200 and uh, 220 yeah. some years. I mean, uh, who cares that they didn't want the people of D.C. to vote? They didn't want the uh, women to vote. They didn't want Native Americans to vote. They didn't want black people to vote. Uh, they weren't very inclusive when they they set up the government. But let me ask you, assuming that the Republicans take over the House, 
Uh, my big fear, and I don't know how you feel about this, but my big fear is that the District of Columbia will become their new whipping boy. They have, um, they can control everything in the District of Columbia. As we know, they put a, a, a financial control board over the district at one point. They can do whatever they want. And doesn't it behoove them from a PR standpoint to just do whatever they can to interfere with us in the district? We've already seen this guy from Georgia put in legislation to get rid of the city council and abolish the mayor's office. And we've seen another another guy from Illinois who's put in legislation to change the way we vote in the District of Columbia. So you think when you say the a guy from Georgia and a guy from Illinois, these are Republicans in, in Republicans, the current con- yeah, Congress? Yeah, Republican Congress. And are they on the committee that oh, actually oversees the district, or are they just one of them, freelancers? One of them is, yeah, one of them is, and one of them isn't. And, and uh, the legislation to change our voting would there'd be no more universal mail-in voting and this is part of a bigger piece of legislation that he's put forth okay uh they're not going the these legis this legislation is not going anywhere at this particular time but uh yeah i mean the the one i got the the uh, uh uh congressman clyde from georgia has has actually said that that we should get rid of the mayor's office and get rid of the the uh, city council and that Congress should uh, take back its control. You know, at one time there was a committee of Congress. Actually, Nancy Pelosi's father served on the committee of Congress that oversaw the District of Columbia. And, uh, and Pelosi has many times said that that's one of the reasons she supports D.C. statehood is because her father... Had told her uh, how when she was uh, a young woman what a terrible situation this was for the people of the district. So uh, yeah, they want to go go back, and you know it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if the Democrats control the Senate. The bills will never get through the Senate, and even if they and there's did, there's also a veto pen in the White House, right? right. There's also yeah. Biden would 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 veto them. But do they hold the district up because there are no Republicans in the District of Columbia, right? We've never voted for a Republican for president. We have no Republican elected officials in the District of Columbia. It's completely run by Democrats. And we have all the same problems that other urban areas have. Do they hold this up as an example of what happens when you let Democrats run things? Right. Well, say, that was a big theme during the campaign, and they didn't necessarily well, single out D.C., but they certainly sick. singled out uh, New York and Chicago. Right. And the the um, uh, Lee Zeldin, who uh, ran a, a strong race in, in New York for, for governor, in the end he, he, he lost, but he elevated the crime issue. But some of his ads, I'm, I'm told, uh, featured crime, but they were crime scenes like from several years ago, like in California. I mean, he just, it was just an effort to, to scare people, but, but, but it worked. And the, the, the crime, Eric Adams was elected in New York city in, in large part because of the, uh, the, the fear, the fear of crime. And I, I think he's, I think he's doing a good job. It's, uh, 
it's it's a it's it's a tough job and uh you know when you say well only there are only half a dozen felony crimes committed on the subway system every day because you have to put that in context there are three and a half four million people riding mm-hmm. uh the subways but no matter how many statistics you put out there you can't eliminate uh, the fear so it's 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 both a real issue and a an exaggerated issue by Republicans, but it is an issue that Democrats have to be mindful of, and certainly I think we're mindful of it here in the in in the district, and especially when uh, young people, teens, are both the victims and the perpetrators. Oh yeah, you've got a great. I'll tell you, as a former political PR guy, you got a great commercial when you've got a running back in the National Football League that's been shot twice by two teenagers in a carjacking attempt. You know, I mean, right. this is this is custom made for a bad commercial. Um, right. But right. I, and and I worry about that. But you know, we're running out of time here. And I'm so grateful. I wish we had uh, another hour that we could talk. I appreciate that you've given well, we us could, time. Uh, we could go into t- 2024 or maybe 2028. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and who knows what's going to happen. I say the one, the only positive thing about Trump getting elected for me was that my family never asked for my political opinion because I was the guy in 2016 that said, oh, that can't happen. He can't. I say, take it from me. I've been in politics 40 years. There's no right. way this man can get elected. So now, right. no, they no longer ask me. Well, uh, right. Ellen Cliff, um, political pundit, thank you so much for being on our show. At the end of every show, we, we, we leave people with a little bit of music that we dedicate to to uh, uh, our guest and uh, tonight's song goes out to you, Eleanor, and it goes out to Democrats everywhere. Okay. Well, thank you, Senator Brown, and for your, is it 16 years, you said, so far? Yeah. 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 And and the way I look at it, um, 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 you know, I may not be getting statehood, but uh, I'm, I'm giving gainful employment to Karen. So, so that's a positive. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank uh, we'll you. We'll see you next week, folks. Here's one from Bob Marley, a classic. Okay. Thank wonderful. You. Okay. Give the people their right to vote. 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 Give the people their right to vote.